Welcome to Rhonda NP's Menopause Guide Podcast with Rhonda Jolliffe, nurse practitioner, hormone expert, and menopause mentor. Balance your menopause experience with natural solutions and regain control to live the life you love. Let's get started. Hi, you've made it to the Menopause Guide Podcast with Rhonda NP. I'm Chris Doctor, the co-host. So today, Rhonda and I are bringing on a very special guest, Melanie Carvel. It's our mission to feature guests that will inspire, motivate, and empower you during your perimenopause and menopause experience. As you're going to hear on the episode, Melanie is just a wealth of information. We don't really get into it on the show, but to quickly share some of her street cred, she is an accomplished triathlete who is a six-time All-American representing USA Triathlon on eight world championship teams and winning a bronze medal in Germany in 1999. She has trained at the U.S. Olympic Training Center with the national cycling team and was named North Dakota's Sportscaster Sports Rider Athlete of the Year, among a lot of other accolades. The best part is she is so humble, authentic, and everything she talks about today is backed by research and her own experience. If you've just discovered this podcast, we want to welcome you and let you know that we have a lot of other information available for you on our website, rondanp.com. There is a menopause assessment quiz, lots of other podcasts, free downloads, resources, and even an online mini course if hot flashes are your big issue right now. We also have a signature course called Menopause 101 that's part of Menopause University, and it opens a few times a year. So depending upon when you're listening to this podcast, we may be open for enrollment. But if we're not, you can get your name on a list and we'll be sure to send you an email when registration opens. So with that, let's dive into today's episode. We think you're going to love it. Well, hello, everyone. We're really excited today on uh, the Menopause Guide podcast to have our special guest, Melanie Carvel. Melanie is a physical therapist and a certified work site wellness consultant and also the author of Running with the Antelope. Life, Fitness, and Grit on the Northern Plains. So we're really excited, Melanie, to have you here with us today. We'd love to have you take a moment to introduce yourself. But before that, I'm Chris Doctor, and I'm the co-host of Menopause Guide Podcast, and also joined by Rhonda Jolliffe, who is our other co-host. So take it away, Melanie. Well, it's great to see and see you ladies today and be here today. Um, just looking forward to having a great conversation with you about how to uh, get more movement and joy and purpose into our days, especially as we're uh, approaching or in menopause, because I'm right in there with y'all. <laughs> great. Can you tell us a little bit about your professional experience and all as a as a wellness, uh, a wellness consultant, basically an expert, a little bit about your history? Oh, sure, sure. Uh, my background is physical therapy, and um, I worked in a hospital um, in outpatient setting for almost 35 years, doing everything from inpatient rehab to outpatient rehab. Um, also uh, spent a large portion of my career managing a women's health center. So women's health has always just been a uh, very much a priority for me. And um, we had a women's fitness center in um, coordination with a physical therapy clinic. And it was uh, just a wonderful opportunity to really meet the needs uh, of women physically, emotionally, um, 
you know, even spiritually getting in and, and getting their work out in and connecting with others. So it's, it's really been a privilege. I also uh, spent quite a bit of my career working with worksite wellness. So um, led the worksite wellness programs uh, for our hospital as well. And so my mission, my passion has always been to um, connect people together and um, to really try to find the joy and all the positive benefits that um, come to us when we're able to take a little bit of time for ourselves and especially uh, become more physically active. Good, good. Ron, did you want to kick, say anything as we kick off this interview with Melanie? Sure. Hello, everyone. Um, Melanie, thanks so much for being here. I That was a perfect introduction because <laughs> that is you. I've known Melanie for years, and so I'm just really tickled to have her on here today because Melanie really is the expert in movement and exercise and really living a positive life and bringing that into your daily routine. Uh, and I've always looked up to Melanie. Uh, you probably know this, or maybe you don't, Melanie, but uh, you are really um, just a, when you, when you enter the room, it's too bad this is a podcast, because when you enter a room with Melanie, um, she makes you smile. She's just kind of takes up a whole space. She's quite small, but she takes up big space because of her wonderful smile and great attitude and just great energy. So I'm so excited to have you here today. Thank you. Good. Well, let's start off with our first question for you, Melanie. So, you know, we are always have been kind of brainwashed um, with exercise in this country about the no pain, no gain kind of message. Can you talk about what your philosophy is uh, along those lines and what we should think about now in perimenopause and menopause in our 40s and 50s related to that? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, um, that that uh, model of exercise is medicine, for instance. I mean, I, I used to use that and, um, you know, definitely try to talk people into getting going with exercise as medicine. But, but if we ask ourselves, which of who of us likes to take medicine? It's, most of us don't, you know, so rather than thinking of exercise as something that we have to do or we should do, or we get started with it because, um, you know, we're trying to move some numbers or some metrics. The, you know, the number one reason why people start to exercise is, can you guess? To lose they weight. To lose weight. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Probably about 99% of people will tell you that they, they've started exercising or they've, um, try, they're trying to eat better to lose weight, which unfortunately that is probably um, the least motivating reason to either get you going and especially to keep you going. So it's always been my mission rather than thinking of it as something that's a necessary evil or something that we should do or have to do to really try to look at it as something that we get to do and something that will really enrich our lives. You know, the current model of of going to the gym to work out doesn't doesn't work out for everyone and in fact it works out for very few of us if we look at our, our country as a whole uh, only about 20 percent of women have gym memberships and of those 20 percent most of them don't use them the statistics <laughs> are pretty high so so that no pain no gain 
model doesn't work very well. It's kind of like going on an extreme diet where you diet, then you cheat, and you repent, and then you repeat. Um, and, you know, getting caught up in those types of things where we overdo exercise and then, you know, we do too much, too soon, too hard. We're exhausted, you know, something is hurting, and then we start that crazy cycle all over again. So, so really trying to choose the right why and, and using um, nutrition as medicine and fuel for our body and using exercise as something uh, to connect with others and something that's so positive and revitalizing and renewing and restoring ourselves rather than punishing ourselves. That's great. Now you talk about finding your why. Can you go a little bit more into that? I think that's a great concept. Right, right. Well, there's a great book by Simon Simic um, where he, he talks about the importance in business of finding your why. And he explains that, um, you know, as marketers, if we're trying to have people buy what we're selling, it has to hit them emotionally, either in the heart or, or in the gut. And but then as healthcare professionals, we often try to sell exercise to our patients and our clients in a way um, that doesn't really touch them emotionally. And it, it's a hard sell. So how can we sell exercise to ourselves? And to us? We want to buy it. And so really looking at the why, um, you know, using an example of a couple people. Uh, one young man is starting to exercise because he hasn't played basketball in a while. And that's where he connected with his friends and, you know, at lunch hour. And that's um, what helped him to feel more productive for the rest of the day, um, more energized, more awake, where the next person um, might be starting to exercise because she wants to move numbers. She wants to see the scale move. She wants to see the tape measure move. She wants to get her blood pressure down. Now, those are very noble reasons, but in the long run, no matter how noble they are, if we can't stick with it, um, we never really get to reap the benefits of it. So it's much more likely that we're going to stick with it if we're doing it for the right reasons. And those are to connect with others, to lower our stress, to be more productive, um, you know, that trickle down effect where you, if you do something positive for yourself, it's going to trickle down into your rest of your life today. Something, your why should be something that gives you a benefit today because the promise of better health down the road really doesn't get us out of bed today to get something done. It needs to, we need to have a benefit immediately really for us to stick with it. So Weight loss can be um, a poor motivator because that scale just doesn't change very fast and it's easy to get very frustrated. And if that's the only thing that's motivating us, it's we're going to be hard pressed to really get results. So let me ask you this, Rhonda, as women come into your clinic, your patients, what would be your um, biggest why for them? And granted, you can't choose their why because it's an individual why, but as a menopausal mm -hmm. woman, what would the why be? Well, I actually love what Melanie said because they do need to probably figure out a different why. <laughs> because <laughs> when they come into my clinic, I'm sitting down with them and talking to them about their glucose and their cholesterol and their weight. Mm -hmm. 
uh, and their blood pressures and um, at the point where, you know, that medication is warranted. But you know what, if if I'll give you six months and if you really, you know, start you know, changing your lifestyle, getting, you know, a good diet program and exercise program. And, and so we, they get, they're really motivated that day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're really motivated that day. And then when I check in with them, it's like, I had such good intentions, but it just didn't happen. And mm-hmm. so I think I love this idea about a different why. Um, and so I have worked with a few people on, you know, really what is your emotional why? And when I have women that will say something like, you know what, I'm, my grandchildren were born. I have a one-year-old and a baby and I can't get down on my knees with my grandkids. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that's it. If you had less weight, you could get down on your knees with your grandchildren. And that is such a great why. And so when I have women say that, I see the sense of motivation that extends and it becomes now a lifestyle. So I do definitely see it clinically, how their why really does motivate them in different ways. And so the emotional connection, especially of grandchildren, I swear that's the one. (laughs) Yep, they'll get us every time. (laughs) That's for sure, that's for sure. So when we talk about the why, Melanie, can you talk about the how, since you've been in workplace wellness so long as well, you know, what could be, how does someone really adopt uh, exercise? And I know we've all been through this so many times before where, you know, we're so committed, we're going to do X, Y, and Z. And maybe it's because we set our goals way too high, but what would you say are the, the best things our listener can take if they really want to start and they figure out what their why is, how do they figure out how to do it how to get moving in the right direction mm-hmm. great question uh, there's another great book by chip and dan heath called made to stick and um i love i love some of their examples that they've used but um you know the first thing is shrink the change so if we're trying to make a behavior change like starting to exercise or maybe our behavior changes you know to to try to eliminate a habit um taking small steps is really the big key so that people don't get overwhelmed. Um, you know, even starting with that five minute walk around the block is um, is a great place to start. If we think about something like Alcoholics Anonymous, what is their mantra when they're trying to help someone quit drinking? It is one day at a time, right? Mm-hmm. And so if we told somebody who was struggling with drinking too much alcohol, you're never going to drink again, that feels pretty darn overwhelming, but if we can break it down and shrink the change, that can um, that can make a big difference. You know, maybe instead of trying to go with the CDC's guidelines of 40 to 60 minutes of aerobic exercise in your training zone, we're simply going to start with just standing more while we're at work, taking our phone calls, standing up, or using that five-minute rule for exercise where you absolutely don't feel like working out not at all, but you'll, you tell yourself, you'll try it for five minutes. And if after five minutes, you still feel like continuing awesome. Most of the time it's taking that first step, um, and doing those, doing those small steps. There was a great runner, um, back in the nineties and Trayson was her name. And, um, she won the Western States 100 mile run in the Sierra Nevada mountains for like five years in a row. And I still remember the interview that the reporter had with her. Um, 
he said, how in the world do you run a hundred miles? And she said, I don't, I run one mile a hundred times and shrinking that change down can really, really make a difference. So that's probably the first step. Um, you know, another, the next step is shaping the path. And so if you have a goal, how can you make your environment, um, help you to, um, to, to meet that goal? So say, for instance, you're someone that's having trouble sleeping at night and sleep is so important for repairing us physically and emotionally. And that sleep has probably been one of my biggest challenges since I've been in menopause. I just me don't too, me too. Well, you know, <laughs> and so um, shaping the path, you could use that for better sleep at night. So you know, one of the critical things that um, research is showing us is that our screen time really affects our sleep. So maybe you are going to be the person who shapes the path by, you know, turning off all your electronic devices at least two to three hours before you go to bed. That means no iPads or iPods or Kindles or computers or especially your phone. And if you have your phone in the bedroom, shape your path for better sleep by banning it from the bedroom. If you use your phone for an alarm clock, go to Kmart and buy an alarm clock and get that phone out of there. So that's an example of shaping the path. It might be as something as simple as um, being organized to exercise by laying out your clothes the day the night before so that when you wake up, you jump in your workout stuff. Or for nutrition, you could shape the path for better nutrition by using smaller plates. Um, you know, not eating out of barrels or kettles or bags or jugs or, you know, sitting down and um, rather than multitasking, really enjoying and savoring your food. So shrinking the change and shaping the path are um, are two simple ways to help you get going with Good. better habits. Good. Anything, um, anything else on the house? that you want to um, talk about because sure, I think these sure. are really nuggets that are really great. And you know, what, whatever Melanie's saying right now, I'll put in our show notes. If you're listening to this and you're like, I don't remember what she said, go to our website, rondanp.com and I'll have it there for you. We'll have it all figured out for you so you can look at sure, it. Sure. Sure. Um, the next, you know, another thing to think about would be adding in a supporting habit. So, so many times when we're trying to get healthier, improve our nutrition, get exercising more, um, whatever it might be, we think about, I can't do this and I can't do that and I can't eat this and I shouldn't eat that. And rather than coming it from that negative perspective, think about adding things in instead of always taking things away. So adding in a supporting habit. One of the um, studies that I read about recently uh, looked at two groups of people who were trying to lose weight, change their body composition more favorably. And um, in one group, they add, actually added in a broth-based soup every afternoon for a mid-afternoon snack. So instead of taking food away, they added in a healthy snack that would, um, you know, fiber and um you know, good nutrition that would help tie them over so that when they got home from work at the end of the day, they weren't so likely, they weren't starving. Because when we're starving, we don't make the best choices. Oftentimes we <laughs> sit and shovel when we're starving instead of, of really making those, those good choices. So um, adding in that supporting habit 
my, my mom always had a little thing that she did for us whenever we were hopping on the bus to go to games or traveling or whatever. Uh, she always called it a rabbit bag. So she would take a little Ziploc bag and cut up fruits and vegetables or apples with a little cinnamon on it or whatever it might be. Uh oh. Yeah. Um, you know, I just got a gift. I got a hydro flask um, water bottle from a from a friend of mine. And um, so I'm trying to drink more regular plain water. And it's awesome because it keeps the water cold all day long. And so having that close by um, is a great, you know, additional habit. Hey, Mel, There's could a, you, re we just sure. lost your audio really quick. You you were talking okay. about a rabbit bag and it was cinnamons, right. apples, what else? And then we lost you for just a quick second. Could you just finish oh, that? Oh, sure, up? sure. So um, with my mom, you know, of course we had, um, she was the kind of person that um, if I wanted to have a conversation with my mother, I had to follow her around <laughs> from the garden to laundry room, you know, to the kitchen where she was making homemade bread or whatever. But she always um, sent us out the door with what she called a rabbit bag. And I have then, you know, carried on that tradition. And a lot of times it was um, vegetables from the garden, but, you know, whatever, whatever was in season. In the fall, she'd often um, send us to school with cut up apples with just a little bit of cinnamon on top. And that was our rabbit bag. Um, so, so adding in a supporting habit for ourselves uh, might be, you know, every day before you head out the door to work or um, whatever your lifestyle calls for, you, you grab a, anytime you travel, take your rabbit bag with you and, and you can mix fruits and vegetables and what, whatever is in season. And, and that's a, a great supporting habit too. So another, yeah, another important um, supporting habit is really looking at breakfast uh, and making sure that, you know, it really, it really is the most important meal of the day. There's all those little jingles that can help us <laughs> like eat your own breakfast, you know, share your lunch with a friend and give most of your dinner to your enemies or <laughs> eat breakfast like a king, you know, uh, lunch like a nobleman and supper like a peasant. Um, but it's kind of the opposite of, of what, how we eat, isn't it? We tend mm -hmm. to maybe not have enough for breakfast and have some, you know, dinky little lunch, but then we get home at the end of the day and all bets are off and we, we tend to overeat. Um, and, then have, and then have a big bowl of ice cream while we're binge watching something <laughs> yes, on Netflix, yes, right? <laughs> yes, yes. There's been some great research. Dr. Miriam Voss from Emory um, University in Atlanta, she does a, a lot of, um, her specialty is pediatric obesity. And um, I had the pleasure of hearing her speak a couple years ago. And and she was she was fabulous um, when she she talked about counseling families um, that were having difficulty with childhood obesity. Her shrink the change was starting with beverages, and so rather than putting the family or the child on any kind of crazy diet, she started simple with shrinking the change with looking at beverages because that can um, can be such a source of added added calories, especially, um, especially with our youth. And the other um, thing that she focused on was trying to move calories earlier in the day. 
So when we talk about eating breakfast like a king, um, you know, there they did studies that showed that taking 500 calories from the evening and simply shifting them to the morning ended up with people having a better profile. And even though you didn't decrease calories, you were more likely to um, calories being equal, just moving them to the morning helped shift people's um, results into um, into better weight loss and better metrics. So uh, that's a, a great habit to, f- to focus on. Get more calories in the morning. Let me ask um, you real quick, sorry to interrupt, sure. but Rhonda, can you touch briefly on that concept? And I'm going to change it to eat breakfast like a queen. Um, for us, for all. <laughs> Good um, job. For our <laughs> listeners. <laughs> yes, for our listener. What, how does that relate for menopause and in the way you um, suggest that women eat in the morning? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly what I do recommend is really starting that morning out and uh, um, to even take it a step further is to really get fat and protein in the morning. Some people are eating their breakfasts are too high in carbohydrates and really mm-hmm. you need that fat and protein. And the reason for that is to start balancing out the insulin levels, which are a really huge um, balancer for hormones because the insulin is now a little bit challenged when you don't have any um, estrogen and your cortisol is working harder and that will increase insulin levels. So now in perimenopause and menopause, it's even that much more important to get that fat and protein in the morning. So you're starting your day in balancing your hormones. So it really plays a huge role in your whole metabolism for the whole day uh, and how your body processes glucose. So that is, um, Something that, you know, and diets have changed over the years and recommendations and a recommendation that I've been doing is, is doing more fat and protein in the morning. And that has changed a lot of people's body composition just with that simple yeah. change as well. Yeah. And then if you have your carbohydrates, um, eating starchy carbs in the evening meal. And it sounds counterintuitive, but it actually, if your hormones are way out of balance, the starchy carbs can actually help balance out your cortisol levels for the nighttime. And our mm-hmm. cortisol levels for the nighttime are really important. <laughs> and it helps us sleep. And so when I do this with women, kind of switch out, kind of switch their calories around and their macronutrients around, they sleep better because right. of it as well. So yeah. so those are some really good and simple tricks. So yeah, mm-hmm. I love I love what you're saying, Melanie. Yeah, Just, well and you you too as well. So so let's let's give an example, real world example of protein in the morning, what that would look like, as well as starchy carb, Rhonda, because I know some people are like, I don't really know what that means, mm-hmm, or what that looks mm-hmm. like. Could you help us with some examples? Well, um, eggs are a great protein. Uh, eggs have obviously gotten a bad rap over the years. But if you can, and and I'm kind of picky with my eggs, I get I get free ranged eggs from a, um, a gal here in our community. And a couple eggs is a really good source of protein. And one of my favorite things is a few slices of avocado on the egg. And so avocado is you're getting your good fats and you're getting mm-hmm. your protein with the egg. And you can even, if you um, fry your egg just in a little coconut oil, and you can even put them together and make a sandwich, an mm-hmm. avocado egg sandwich. And You're making uh, me hungry. <laughs> <I know. laughs> Sounds really good. <laughs> yeah. And, and if you're, you know, if you're not into eggs, 
you know, even getting a, a good source of protein, like some yogurt or even a protein shake, but make sure that you're putting some fat in there as well, whether it's coconut oil or peanut butter, almond butter, um, any of the nut butters, or even just eating a handful of nuts and seeds in the morning to get that fat. So there's protein and there's fat. Yeah. And then the yeah, starchy fun. carb. What's a starchy carb? Starchy, well, my favorite starchy carb is a sweet potato. Uh, so uh, half a sweet potato at the evening meal is a really good starchy carb. Um, quinoa, uh, brown rice, those are start considered more starchy carbs. Um, and quinoa actually has more protein in it as well. So you're getting a double duty there, which is really a good thing. So those are kind of nice to eat in the evening meal. Wonderful. Yeah. Good. Okay. So I'm just in looking at time. I, I have one more question before we end. And one of the biggest challenges that we hear uh, from comments on our Facebook page and in, on our website is the weight gain around the middle. So I'll ask each of our experts here today, what is your number one strategy for addressing that problem challenge in a perimenopausal or menopausal woman? I'll start with Rhonda. <laughs> so uh, do you have two hours? <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This could be a long lesson. Uh, what happens at menopause, the weight around the riddle, middle comes from a couple different factors. One is that your body is under more physical stress because you don't have the estrogen that you used to. And it's like, I'm stressed here. And your cortisol then is your stress hormone, which comes from your adrenal glands will increase. And then if you're not eating right, the insulin may increase as well. And then you have, again, more cortisol. And cortisol production can cause, increased cortisol production can cause that weight around the middle. The other thing is when you start losing estrogen, your body wants to store your estrogen because it's like, where is it going? And I need you. And so some of our estrogen, it gets stored in our fat cells. And so it will kind of accumulate where we have more fat cells, which for some women is around the midsection. So those are pathophysiology kind of ways that why that happens. Um, and so the diet that I just kind of laid out for you is designed for that very thing. So that would be the diet portion of it. Um, for exercise, uh, I'm going to let Melanie tackle that. But I do want to say that sleep is a really big factor in this as well. So if you're not sleeping, uh, pay attention to if you feel a little extra weight bloated at the next day. It's really interesting because when I tell women this, they're like, you're right. And when they sleep, their bellies are a little less, less full in the morning. So pay attention to that and see if you're getting your adequate Z's. Good. Yeah. You know, and, and I think one of the reasons, great, great info, Rhonda. Um, one of the reasons that we struggle with sleep at night and maybe more so than in past decades is, is that we're not as active as we used to be. You know, we are a hundred years ago, we, we uh, were active for about 80% of our day and we sat on our rear ends for about 20% of our day. And unfortunately now we've just kind of flipped that most of us spend far too much time sitting. And if we're not getting that um, activity, fresh air during the day, then, you know, that can be re reflected in not sleeping as well. I don't think we sleep as well when we're not as, as active as we, as we could or should be. So um, when it comes to exercise, especially, uh, you know, during menopause, 
and we're, we're frustrated with those um, physical changes. Um, you know, there's two types of fat. They call it vat fat and scat fat. So vat fat is visceral <laughs> adipose tissue that we store in our middle. And scat fat is subcutaneous adipose tissue that we store in our extremities, our arms and our legs. And when we go through those changes, like Rhonda was mentioning, we will see a shift um, as we get older, you know, and, and part of it is, is that, um, that aging process. We tend to, our levels of visceral adipose tissue tend to increase while our limbs tend to become, um, uh, you know, less scat fat, more vat fat. Um, and it's it's just the privilege we have for growing older that that's <laughs> that's part of it. But it doesn't mean that we can't keep those changes to a minimum by continuing to um, to stay as active as we can be. So um, the the best exercise to do during menopause is one that you enjoy. And and you know we we talked about those right whys of using your exercise time to connect with others and and using exercise as something to really renew and and restore yourself. So it's got to be something that we enjoy or we're not going to stick with it. Um, and then you know looking at the specific challenges that menopause brings to the table, we really want to do something that stresses our bones to keep our bones healthy and strong. Mm -hmm and um, to keep our muscles strong because we do, we will um, lose bone and lose muscle as we age um, and flexibility as well. So we've um, we just got to stay in the ring and, and keep working on those things. So, you know, bone um, strengthening exercises like lifting weights and walking, um, flexibility and balance exercises like yoga and Tai Chi, those would um, would probably be my favorite recommendations, and then not being afraid to uh, to push a little bit harder too. With with um, you know the the number one reason why people don't exercise is because they don't have time. So uh, keeping in mind that some of those shorter, more intense workouts um, where we swim a lap easy and then swim a lap hard, or walk one block easy and then walk one block as fast as we can go or even maybe run a block. Those types of workouts where we push ourselves a little bit harder, um, maybe for a shorter duration, are also great at giving us a good metabolic boost and an after-exercise um, metabolic burn as well. So uh, just being open and, and trying different things um, and different intensities keeps us um, from getting bored too and keeps us going. Awesome. I love these knowledge bombs, girls. <laughs> Okay, so we are we are coming up on time. So just any last thoughts from either of you for our listener in terms of exercise, finding your why, or just any uh, last words of encouragement that you'd like to offer today? Rhonda, I'll start with you. Okay, thanks. Um, well, I obviously want to thank Melanie for being here today. It's really an honor to have her here and to take 
time out of her schedule and spend this with us and share all her knowledge because everything Melanie said, if you listen to her, you will be successful. And <laughs> I can tell you that for sure. She said everything I wanted her to say. I thought, well, I'll just chime in if there's something that she misses. Ha <laughs> ha. But yeah, the, the little burst training is definitely great for the midsection and, and the flexibility and the bones. And that's all so important at this time. So I really um, listen to this over and over if you're struggling and hopefully you can get motivated to really get out there. And like I say, um, just start out with something, start moving, um, start staying active. I, you know, one of the things that I have done that I've just really loved is I got a standing desk uh, because I do sit a lot. I'm at a desk a lot. I'm with patients sitting down and then I go sit at my desk and do my documentation. So that has made a big difference for me as just staying movement because I don't have a job that I'm very active. So really looking mm -hmm. at what you do during the day even um, to be more active if you have a job that you're not very active with as well. So um, just good luck on that. It's always uh, uh, one of those things that we know we should do. Uh, it's really not so much an education problem. It's probably just a little bit more of some little tidbits that you can add into your day that can hopefully help you um, for a lifetime because it is so important um, in your overall health and well-being. Right. Great, 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 great. Um, probably for, you know, a closing thought is just to to think about really developing that growth mindset where, you know, we expect for times when things maybe aren't going to go as well. You know, it's kind of like that smoker who quits smoking and they've been doing great and they haven't had a cigarette in six weeks and then they have a terrible crappy day. And then what happens? They have a cigarette and they feel like a loser and they go down with the ship and start smoking again. And, and, um, you know, was it that one cigarette that hurt us? No, it's how we react to it. If you can react to a setback or a slip up or a failure or an injury or an illness and say, you know what, I'm going to hop back on track. It takes the average smoker five times to quit. And, and I'm going to play the long game because everything in the middle can look like a failure. You know, um, if you think about the Super Bowl last year, the New England Patriots played the Atlanta Falcons. My brother went to bed at halftime because the Patriots were behind, what, around to like 28 to 6 yeah, or something? By a lot. But, but they played the long game, right? They didn't give up and they kept with it and they ended up winning in overtime. And and we we can be a lot that same way where you know, you almost have to plan for times when things might not go as well as you like. Peanut butter parfaits go on sale at Dairy Queen, <laughs> have one, but then don't let that be the excuse to drop the ball completely, you know, hop back on track and, and, um, and, and looking at things and really trying to reframe um, self-care, you know, trying to reframe nutrition as something that really can be medicine for our bodies and, and reframing exercise as something that we should be so grateful to be able to do uh, can make a big difference as well. We don't, we don't have to do it. We get to do it. And, and to be able to celebrate um, that gift in a way that brings you joy uh, is going to be our, our best way to stick with it. Terrific. 
Well, I want to, on, on behalf of Rhonda and myself, thank you, Melanie, so much for being here today. And I think for closing, as someone who's listening to this, if you're experiencing new challenges every day and every day you wake up and there's something different or wrong or hitting you from perimenopause and menopause, just take the advice Melanie gave at the beginning is take it one day at a time. And also I would say, check out our website. We've got a lot of other podcasts and good information. So you can kind of pick and choose um, if we've got a podcast for almost every symptom. So you can take a, take a look and see what, we, what Rhonda recommends. So thank you ladies so much for being here and um, to our listener, have a great day. Thank you. Thanks, have a great day. Thanks for joining the Menopause Guide podcast with Rhonda NP. You'll find the show notes and other valuable information at our website, rhondanp.com. Don't worry about this menopause thing. You've got this.